it's always such a pleasure for me to be back at St. John's, and I'm, I'm honored to be asked. This is my fifth year in a row. Um, it's become a wonderful journey for me to try to articulate my feelings about how poetry and prayer share a spiritual space. And I also have to say it's, it's challenging to do this five years in a row because I've, I've plucked the low-hanging fruit already. <laughs> so I just want to end this little piece by saying that uh, it gives me renewed respect for those who write a sermon every week. <laughs> so this year I've chosen the title After Icarus, Poems for Every Day. And I've done that for two reasons. The simplest is that I have found nine fabulous poems, one of which was sent to me by the Reverend Leon. Nine fabulous poems about the Greek myth of the boy who flew so close to the sun that the wax holding his makeshift wings melted, and he plummeted back into the sea. This fall from grace, or in a sense, the leap of faith, is, of course, a natural poetic and spiritual topic. So the second and more important reason that I've chosen the Icarus poems is that we ourselves can't escape from every day. And it's because of that. It's out of our yearning for transcendence, out of our questions about the meaning of life, that we seek solace in poetry and salvation in God. So a little bit about why I think poems and pray, faith and prayer are in, are in dialogue with each other. I think that like prayer, the best poems are not about answers, but are about questions. Poetry is a place we go to when we don't have an easy explanation, when we're seeking an emotional center. Poems help when we don't have ready answers or when we're in doubt, when we can't explain away something. Like prayer, poems assume something larger than the self. So poetry's in dialogue with the ineffable. Like faith, poems tell us not that they contain the truth, but that they and us contain mysteries. And we, <laughs> let's have the grammar correct. Poetry, Icarus, and faith are all about, they're all about uncertainty, all about the journey whether or not it's immediately successful. And I love this idea of this leap of faith where we fall back to earth, but we still have the yearning. And that's what the, the Icarus poems are about. Last year, I shared one of my favorite quotations about writing, and I want to say it again today. It's about E.L. Doctorow, and I think this applies also to prayer and, in fact, to all of life. He says, listen to this, it's wonderful. Writing is like driving at night in the fog. You can see only as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. That's a sentiment, I guess, that Icarus could have agreed with. So today I put together a packet of six poems for us to read and discuss together this morning. Four of them are directly about Icarus, and the other two contain the sentiment without alluding to the myth. So if you don't have a packet, they're there on the table as you walk in. After I sent in the poems to be copied for you, I was teaching my usual poetry class 
at Politics and Prose, and we read a poem by Patricia Smith from her book, Should Have Been Jimmy Savannah. And I can't resist reading it to you, even though you don't have a copy of it, because it completely beguiled me. It's about a speaker who is objectively wrong about science, but completely right about faith. This is a wonderful book written by a contemporary American woman poet. Um, this book won a big prize from the Library of Congress in 2012. And it's about her family's journey from the South during the Great Migration up to the industrial cities of the North, in her case, Chicago, looking for work for African-American families. And this is, in a sense, an autobiography in verse. She has written a lot about her mother, Annie Pearl Smith. This poem is written about her mother, Annie Pearl. Annie Pearl is speaking to her daughter, Patricia. Patricia has written this in dialect. And it is, among other things, to fill my heart, a sonnet. This woman is unbelievable, Patricia Smith. Anyway, um, this poem starts out, the, one of the first words in the poem is fool. And because I love Shakespeare, it reminds me also that don't you know that Shakespeare's fools are always the wisest people in the plays. So, Annie Pearl is talking to Patricia, and here's the poem. Ain't but one way heaven makes sense, or Annie Pearl Smith explains the U.S. space program. <laughs> Icarus is an astronaut in this one. It is so cool. Okay, here's the poem. First of all, y'all fools, see what's right in front of you. Then got folks telling you you ain't seeing what you just saw. Other folks saying you saw more than you did. Heaven is where my Jesus lived. Just one way to get there. No great big shiny ship can rise up on that sacred. They thought, think they're going to look the Lord dead in his eye, asking questions with nerve enough to wait for answers? No man going to reach down, just scoop up moon, even if Mr. Cronkite say he did. Them white men way out in a desert somewhere, stumbling round in them blowed-up suits with movie stuff back of them, laughing inside those glass heads. And colored folk eyeing and ooing like the numbers in, and they got money coming. Child, I sure didn't raise you up to be this much fool this fast. People got to pray they way up. One small step ain't enough. I hope you love that as much as I do. I just think this is a spectacular poem. I recommend the entire book to you. Annie Pearl Smith is my heroine of the morning. So um, what I want to do is share some of these poems in the handouts with you, read them, and then I want to talk about them with you. And I want you to talk to me, please. This first poem is called Musée de Beaux-Arts, and it's written by the famous 
British and American poet W.H. Auden. It's written about, he went to a museum and looked at this, you don't need this, but this is a, I brought two copies of Peter Bruegel's The Elder, Landscape with the Fall of Icarus. And if you don't have this, don't worry about it. You don't need it. Don't just pass it around. So Auden goes to a museum, and he sees this, this painting, and he writes this poem. This is one of the most fa famous poems of the 20th century. And... Um, You can see it's written before, the time frame takes place before the birth of Jesus. It presages the Savior, it presages the crucifixion, and it presages, I think, this desire, this, this need that we have. How do we, in the daily life, in daily cacophony, how do we make that leap of faith into the unknown? Musée de Beaux-Arts. Most of, many of you may know this poem already. It's very famous. About suffering, they were never wrong, the old masters. How well they understood its human position. How it takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. How when the aged are reverently, passionately waiting for the miraculous birth, there must always be children who did not specially want it to happen, skating on a pond at the edge of the wood. They never forgot that even the dreadful martyrdom must run its course anyhow in a corner, some untidy spot where the dogs go on with their doggy life and the torturer's horse scratches its innocent behind on a tree. In Bruegel's Icarus, for instance, how everything turns away quite leisurely from the disaster. The plowman may have heard the splash, the forsaken cry, but for him, it was not an important failure. The sun shone as it had to on the white legs disappearing into the green water. And the expensive, delicate ship that must have seen something amazing, a boy falling out of the sky, had somewhere to get to and sailed calmly on. I love this poem. This poem is about how the aged are reverently, passionately Our search for the divine in everyday life, even though we're falling back to earth every day. And for me, it's maybe not the, the certainty, it's the questioning.
that makes the journey so passionately worthwhile. Are there any other comments about anyone want to say anything about this poem? Like it, hate it, speak to you. I can talk all day long, but I'd love to hear from anybody else with a comment. Okay, the Icarus, the Icarus myth is in many different cultures and has come down through the ages. And what is it about it that animates poets and I think writers of all stripes? Is, am I paraphrasing? Well, for one thing, of course, we can, talk, we can say that it's hubris, right? He flew too close to the sun. He wanted... Icarus was the son of Daedalus who made the... Um, made the maze to, to contain the minotaur. And Daedalus was a, he, uh, he was a, he had a forge. So for one thing, maybe they tried to get too close to the gods, right? They tried to get too close to God. However, at something small, the heat of the sun, the hubris melted the wax and down they fell, down he fell who was flying along thinking, this is pretty cool. Look at me, Dad. I'm up here in the air, and I'm, I'm getting up to the gods, and he fell. So there's, there's certainly the hubris part. Um, but isn't there also the fall from grace part? What ha Some of these, one of the poems we're going to read, actually two, what happens after the hero falls down to earth? What happens to us? every day in our journey to faith when we don't necessarily uh, get where we want to go? How do we, how do we keep climbing up? Um, so I'd say that the, the leap of faith is part of what this poem is about. And also part of what this poem is about is the quotidian everydayness does faith have to be a giant leap up towards the gods? Or is it what you do day after day, plowing the field and um, sailing along? Are these things happening at the same time? Are we missing the miracle of faith in our daily life? In the, in the, in the Auden poem, but for him, it was not an important failure. The sun shone as it had to on the white legs disappearing into the green water. And the expensive, delicate ship that must have seen something amazing, a boy falling out of the sky, had somewhere to get to and sailed calmly on. We missed. I did the ordinary epiphany. Ordinary epiphany. What we do, every, the epiphanies of every day. So this, this search for transcendence doesn't always have to necessarily be a flight up to the sun. But it can be.
There are. But I only have copies of one. Yeah. Can I try to paraphrase it? <laughs> let, let me say that you, he, you did? You heard? Okay. Thanks, Luis. You saved me. <laughs> but I think that's one of the great things about, about poems. Because poems can mean more than one thing at, at the same time. When I was um, teaching young kids, I, I said that poems are like eating a peanut butter sandwich. You get the bread, you get the peanut butter, and you get the jelly all at once. And so it's a combination of tastes that, that make the yumminess. Um, and the great thing about poetry is it, it requires the reader to bring something of oneself into the poem. It doesn't tell you too much. That's journalism. That tell, journalism tells you everything you need to know. Literature, that's the truth of motive. Journalism's the truth of fact. Poetry is the truth of image and yearning. I think. Anything else? Should we go on to another poem? We're not going to have a lot of time. Hmm. I might skip over the one that the reverend sent me. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. We'll read it. It's a, it's a sonnet. It's a wonderful sonnet. It's by the contemporary American poet. Well, she's not contemporary. She, she killed herself. <laughs> Anne Sexton. Shall we read it? Yeah. I'll read it. To a friend whose work has come to triumph. I love this title. Whose work has come to triumph. Why do I love this title? Because usually it uh, has come to disaster. You know, come to an end. Come to a fall. Whose work has come to triumph. Already you know, hmm, something's going on here. She's already giving you a cue. Consider Icarus pasting those sticky wings on, testing that strange little tug at his shoulder blade, and think of that first flawless moment over the lawn of the labyrinth. Think of the difference it made. There below are the trees as awkward as camels. And here are the shocked starlings pumping past. And think of innocent Icarus, who is doing quite well. 
Larger than a sail, over the fog and the blast of the plushy ocean he goes. Admire his wings. Feel the fire at his neck and see how casually he glances up and is caught, wondrously tunneling into that hot eye. Who cares that he fell back to the sea? See him acclaiming the sun and come plunging down while his sensible daddy goes straight into town. This poem and the next poem tell us that the journey is worth it, even if we fall. And that is what I think is the tremendous, to me, that's the inflection point. That's what means so much to me. The journey is worth it even if we fall. And we fall. And we're falling. But I love this poem. It's, it's, it's a sonnet. Um, Anne Sexton is very well known as one of the first uh, American poets who wrote um, con in the conf confessional poems. And this is not one. But I think this poem gives us the, uh, it allows us to have an epiphany that is not necessarily successful, which I think is an amazing thing. It gives us, you know, it, it, it gives us space to fail. Other comments about this? Let's read the next one because it's kind of the same. This next one has the same idea to it. This is by Jack Gilbert, also an American poet. He died recently, lived for many years in Greece. And this poem is called Failing and Flying. Everyone forgets that Icarus also flew. It's the same when love comes to an end or the marriage fails and people say they knew it was a mistake, that everybody said it would never work, that she was old enough to know better. But anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Like being there by that summer ocean on the other side of the island while love was fading out of her the stars burning so extravagantly those nights that anyone could tell you they would never last. Every morning she was asleep in my bed like a visitation, the gentleness in her like antelope standing in the dawn mist. Each afternoon I watched her coming back through the hot stony field after swimming the sea light behind her, and the huge sky on the other side of that. Listen to her while we ate lunch. How can they say the marriage failed? Like the people who came back from Provence, when it was Provence, and said it was pretty, but the food was greasy. I believe Icarus was not failing as he fell, but just coming to the end of his triumph. 
Now that one really slays me. I find this this poem. Um, we, we read this um, in my class, and I'm happy to say a couple of my class members are here. Thank you, Martha and Suzanne. We read this, and this poem I think is something uh, to to live by. I believe Icarus was not failing as he fell, but just coming to the end of his triumph. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly. In other words, he gives us permission to try and fail. You don't have to succeed for the effort to be worth it. And that, to me, that, I cannot tell you how comforting that is. You know? That, as you know, a flawed human being, I find that enormously comforting. Uh, and I find that uh, to be a central tenet of my own journey. So I hope you like this one, too. Any comments? Anyone want to say anything about this poem? Clark. I, I assume Well, Sexton would have been died, would have been dead by the time um, Gilbert wrote this poem. He, I cannot tell you about the Sexton poem? My guess is not. This guy really was sui generis. He didn't copy anybody else. He didn't read a lot of po other poets. He was a very unusual person. He never learned to drive, for instance. Never had a car. You know, he, he really was an, an aesthetic. Um, so I, I don't know that he didn't know this poem, but uh, my guess is that they both came to this from their own vantage point. Yeah, yeah. Do you like this poem? Tell me you do. Yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the gentle, gentleness like the antelope. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah, his imagery is wonderful. Suzanne? Yeah, um, Suzanne said she thought that probably they both knew Auden's poem. Everybody knows Auden's poem. <laughs> Super duper famous. I think you're right. Yeah. The, well, the whole idea, I mean, that's the myth of Icarus, it seems to me, has such resonance for all of us that a lot of different poets write about it. They take it again and, and chew on it. You know, how can I... How can I look at this again? What does this mean to me? How, how can I help? How can this myth become a poem that helps me in my life? Helps me navigate my life. Yeah. Sure. Um, for me, it's I get knocked down, and it's not just necessarily I who get back up, but it's the 
It's the reader who gets back up. The reader, because see, I've, I always say, you've got to meet the poet. The thing about poems, this is why a lot of people hate them. I know, it's like too much work. Because you can't just read it and get it. You've got to work at it to get it. You've got to be a little bit like a detective. And so for me, the, the redemption in this is, is not necessarily Icarus's redemption. It's the reader's redemption. That he tried. His triumph. And the triumph was the trying. I mean, you can also look at it was like, you know, the hubris. Well, I shouldn't have ever tried. But, and, and, you know, that is one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is he tried. And now what are we going to make of that attempt? You buy that? Does that work for you? Yeah? Okay. Doesn't have to. I don't care. I mean, it's all right. You can disagree. It's quite all right. Um, oh, Luis? Oh, yes. Yeah. He actually did it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and that sets up the whole poem, doesn't it? Everyone forgets that Icarus also flew. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, um, I know we, I think, you know what, I'm going to skip the, the next one, but I want you to, you guys read it, but it's a wonderful poem. Edward Field, he's a contemporary American poet, he's still alive. Um, and I want to go to another very famous poem called Love Calls Us to the Things of This World by Richard Wilbur, a contemporary American poet who, uh, who served in World War II and um, lives, in outside, lives outside of Amherst, Massachusetts. He's one of our best ever American poets. This, this poet, uh, Richard Wilbur, will endure for many centuries to come. This poem never mentions Icarus, but let's see what you make of it. Also, this is so well known. Love calls us to the things of this world. The eyes open to a cry of pulleys, and spirited from sleep, the astounded soul hangs for a moment bodiless and simple as false dawn. Outside the open window, the morning air is all awash with angels. Some are in bedsheets, some are in blouses, some are in smocks, but truly, there they are. Now they are rising together in calm swells of halcyon feeling, filling whatever they wear with the deep joy of their impersonal breathing. Now they are flying in place, conveying the terrible speed of their omnipresence, moving and staying like white water. And now of a sudden, they swoop down into so rapt a quiet 
that nobody seems to be there. The soul shrinks from all that it is about to remember, from the punctual rape of every blessed day, and cries, Oh, let there be nothing on earth but laundry, nothing but rosy hands in the rising steam and clear dances done in the sight of heaven. Yet, as the sun acknowledges with a warm look the world's hunks and colors, the soul descends once more in bitter love to accept the waking body, saying now in a changed voice as the man yawns and rises, bring them down from their ruddy gallows. Let there be clean linen for the backs of thieves. Let lovers go fresh and sweet to be undone, and the heaviest nuns walk in a pure floating of dark habits, keeping their difficult balance. So I believe that this poem answers the question that you which is, what is it about this myth of Icarus? This poem, in my mind, equates Icarus with the soul. We rise, we fall, we rise again. I love the idea of the laundry and the soul and the angels. This poem was written uh, Richard Wilbur had a Guggenheim Fellowship, and he was in Italy. And he woke up one morning, and there was all the laundry on the line, right? And um, that was the, the genesis of this poem. Here there is no actual Icarus in the poem, but there is the soul embodied in the laundry. I love the fact that the laundry, he says, and, and there's the reversal of the laundry and, and the and the body. Um, now they are rising together in calm swells of halcyon feeling, filling whatever they wear with the deep joy of their impersonal feeling. The laundry is wearing the people. So I chose this poem because, although it doesn't speak about Icarus, it does, I think, speak to uh, to my feeling that, th that we rise, we fall, the journey is all. Uh, we stumble, we get back up. And uh, what, what makes it faith is the belief that we can rise again. Do you like this poem? It's beautiful, isn't it? The whole idea of, uh, of what's unembodied becoming embodied. Comments? Anyone have anything to say about this? Let's read the last one, and then I think I have to let you go. I've been told I have to give you enough time to get to the 10 o'clock. This last one I chose because this one takes the seasons and the earth as our Icarus, our rising and our coming around from winter into spring. 
It's a pretty good poem for today because the weather's been so crummy for so long. Uh, The weather outside doesn't necessarily uh, mirror what's in this poem, but we can only hope that it will do so. Barbara Crooker, the the author, uh, lives in rural Pennsylvania. She has a, a very extremely handicapped son. She has a mother suffering with Alzheimer's. She has a not very easy life, and she writes the most luminous poems about this life. It's amazing. I admire her deeply. Listen. I want to tell you something. This morning is bright after all the steady rain, and every iris, peony, rose, opens its mouth, rejoicing. I want to say, wake up, open your eyes. There's a snow-covered road ahead, a field of blankness, a sheet of paper, an empty screen. Even the smallest insects are singing, vibrating their entire bodies, tiny violins of longing and desire. We were made for song. I can't tell you what prayer is, but I can take the breath of the meadow into my mouth, and I can release it for the leaves' green need. I want to tell you your life is a blue coal, a slice of orange in the mouth, cut hay in the nostrils. The cardinal's red song dances in your blood. Look, every month the moon blossoms into a peony, then shrinks to a sliver of garlic, and then it blooms again. And then we leap up into the sky and fall again. But we keep doing it. So um, I hope that made some sense to you. It's a great pleasure for me to share some poems. And I hope that they have some resonance uh, for you and that that you enjoy some poems and that it makes sense in terms of the the same space that that poetry and, and faith and prayer and spiritual search can share, not always, but sometimes, um, in our ongoing journey, up we go, down we go, and we pick ourselves up and get up again. So thank you very much.